0: Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 21, of Religious Worship and the Sabbath Day. Paragraph 1. The light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all. He is good and does good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart, and with the soul, and with all the might, But the acceptable way of worshipping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited to his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. Paragraph 2 Religious worship is to be given to God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and to Him alone, not to angels, saints, or any other creature, and since the fall, not without a mediator, nor in the mediation of any other, but of Christ alone. You're very welcome today to the first episode of the podcast in this brand new year of 2021. Unfortunately, as I record this podcast, as a church, we have only met once in this calendar year. On January the 3rd, we gathered together, respecting all the government guidelines about our worship. But then, in the next few days, we were very quickly cancelled once again, and currently that can last until the early March. It is a frustration. In these days of pandemic, it is, of course, a time of trouble and worry for many. But missing out on regular face-to-face public worship is a severe blow to the local church of Jesus Christ. We are to meet together regularly and not to forsake it as some are in the habit of doing. We are to come on the Sabbath day and to worship the Lord. Chapter 21 of the Westminster Confession speaks of our religious worship and the Sabbath day, making it clear that a simple walk outside and a look at the beauty of creation shows us that there is a God. The divines begin by stating, The light of nature shows that there is a God, and this God has lordship and sovereignty over all. He is good and does good to all, and therefore he is to be praised. In other words, there is absolutely no excuse for anyone in this world not to understand that there is a God who deserves our worship and our praise. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20: God's invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. And so there is no one who has ever lived who could honestly say, I did not know there was a God. As we turn our eyes to the sky in the evening and see the wonder of the stars and the moon shining down upon us and as we enjoy a stormy gale on a winter's day, or indeed, the bright sun on our face in the middle of the summer, not one of us can ever say that we did not know or understand that there was a God. And indeed, this God shows in his creation that he is both good and the one who does good to all. He makes the sun shine on the wicked and the righteous alike. And therefore, said the divines, he is to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, served with all the heart, soul, And with all the might. In Psalm 18 and verse 3, we read, I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. In Psalm 31 and 23, Love the Lord, all you, his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Psalm 62 and verse 8, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And Psalm 119 and verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. All through scripture we see that our God is good and he does good to all. That he is the God of creation who is Lord and sovereign over all. And therefore we are to worship him, serve him, adore him, praise him with all our heart, soul and might. And so with that clearly stated, you might think we have been left then to our own devices. One man climbs a mountain and builds a temple at the summit and begins to worship God in his own way. Another decides that he can worship God on the golf course every Sunday and he doesn't need to go to any church or any organized faith. And another man still thinks that God is unknowable except by using drugs to get into a higher state of consciousness where then he is able to commune with the divine. Friends, we see all of these things regularly, both at home and abroad. But the Lord has not left us to feel out our way to him. The Lord has not shown us himself in creation and then left it up to us how we want to worship him. The Westminster Divines continue by saying that the acceptable way of worshipping the true God is instituted by himself, and so it is limited to his own revealed will. If creation shows us that there is a God, generally, We know that the Word of God, specially, shows us how we are to worship Him. In the Reformed Church, we speak of the regulative principle, a principle that regulates our worship, so that we do not do anything in worship that the Lord has not explicitly commanded in His Word. And immediately, as we discuss the regulative principle, some may pull back, thinking that it seems so legalistic. It destroys our freedom, it destroys our liberty, and it's only for those stuffy, stiff-necked Presbyterian types. But, my brothers and sisters, the regulative principle is actually a delight. It protects us from all manner of invention and innovation and the imaginations of men. The Westminster Divines say exactly that that God is to be worshipped according to his own revealed will. The Lord is the one who sets the standard for the worship that pleases him. He has not left it up to us to figure out what may or may not please him, and he has left no room for us to invent new ways to worship that will satisfy the demands of the current crowd. The Lord gives us his word. He reveals his will to us in the pages of the scriptures. And there we find the only acceptable way of worshipping the true God. He frees us, therefore, from following our imaginations and devices of men, as the divines put, or indeed the suggestions of Satan, under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. We see this most clearly articulated, I think, in Exodus chapter 20. The Lord makes it clear. So the Lord tells us that we are not to make any images, neither of anything in the heavens above or the earth beneath. No images should be allowed in our worship and so that should speak to us about that beautiful stained glass window, a representation of Christ that is in our own fellowship. I'm not saying that we go tomorrow and smash them out and wreck them, but they simply should never have a place in a church meeting house. We do not need images to be helping us to worship the Lord. Human beings have endless imaginations and can come up with endless schemes that will help us, supposedly, in our worship. Not only that, but human beings are frail and fallen and weak creatures, and often we can be seduced by the suggestions of Satan. Again, ideas creep in that we think will help us and aid us in our worship. But we do not need any of these things, and we must protect the church from all of them. The only acceptable way of worshipping the true God is instituted by himself and is limited by his own revealed will. If we want to ask the question, how can we worship rightly, we find the answer in the pages of God's Word. Paul would speak of this in Colossians chapter 2. There were many rules and regulations that many sought to introduce, but he is clear in verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so to summarize this opening paragraph, the Lord is clear in creation that he exists, that he is to be worshipped, that he is to be adored, that he is to be feared and served but it is in the pages of Scripture that we find the only true and acceptable and pleasing way to worship the Lord, and any deviation from it, any addition to it, has not been commanded, and we must flee from it. The regulative principle is not for our enslavement, but indeed for our liberty, once again coming under the authority not of the rules and regulations of humanity, but only the authority of God and his word. As we move on into paragraph 2, the divines are clear that religious worship is to be given to God the Father, Son and Holy Ghost, and to him alone. In plain terms, our faith, our religious worship, is Trinitarian. We believe that there is one God who has revealed himself in three persons, all of whom are equal. There are no other gods beside him. As Jesus said to Satan in Matthew 4 and verse 10, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so as we come to worship this God, we understand that he is trying. We see that clearly in the final words of every reformed service, as the benediction is pronounced, The blessing of God upon the people of God. In 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14, we see the benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. As these words are ringing in your ears as you make your way out of your meeting house and into your car and back home, you are reminded that the God you have come to worship is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our God is in perfect unity. We have spoken before about the covenant of redemption, how the Father chose a people for the Son. The Son came to die for them, and the Holy Spirit calls them and draws them and renews them. In salvation and in every way, our triune God is perfectly united. There is no division in the Godhead, and so when we come to worship, we worship this triune God in spirit and in truth, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and he is the object of our worship, and him alone. If religious worship ever becomes about our own tastes or our own likes, then perhaps we have placed ourselves in the throne where only God should be. And the divines make this very point, as paragraph 2 continues. They say after that we are to worship the triune God and him alone, therefore we are not to worship angels, saints, or any other creature. Amazingly, in the church today, we see this in a widespread basis. There's a church in America that makes a big deal about angel feathers falling from the ceiling. Some followers of that very same church have been known to go and lie on the graves of prominent Christians to soak up the spiritual blessing that that individual supposedly have. We see in the Catholic tradition prayers offered up unto the saints, and we see all throughout the world today, False worship has crept into churches that supposedly worship the triune God. Our worship is for God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and we are not to worship angels, saints, or any other creature. If you are praying to the saints, then they cannot hear you, and they cannot help you. If you are seeking out angels and their feathers to give you comfort, Then I am sorry to say that angels do not have feathers, nor do they want your worship. In Revelation 19 and verse 10, John fell down at the feet of an angel to worship him. But the angel said to him, You must not do that, for I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Two words from the angel's lips couldn't be much more clear. Worship God. The Lord alone is the object of our worship. We are not to worship the angels, the saints, or any other creature. Indeed, if we are to fall into this, then we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Paul says this in Romans 1 and verse 25, that they have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. And so the Christian faith can be free from relics or bones of so-called saints. We do not need to lie on the graves of great Christians of the past. We do not need to seek out the angels, and we do not need to offer prayers to a certain saint for a certain thing. Instead, we can worship God. Instead, we can worship Him in spirit and in truth according to what He has revealed to us in the pages of His Word, and we are set free from all of these other inventions and regulations by God's truth. And as paragraph two comes to a close, the divines are clear that we worship with a mediator. Since the fall, the work of a mediator has been absolutely necessary. In the beginning, humanity walked with God and God walked with them. The relationship was good. Sin had not yet entered into the world. And no mediator was required. But since the fall, the work of a mediator has been necessary. Why is this so? Because the chasm caused by sin between God and humanity is so great that we could not possibly cross it ourselves. The Lord God Almighty is sinless and spotless and holy and pure, where we are none of those things. And so we need a mediator, a middleman if you like, one who stands in the gap, And that one is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told us that in John chapter 14 and verse 6. He makes it clear that he is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Paul would write in Ephesians 2 and verse 18, through Jesus we have access in one spirit to the Father. And in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, there is one God And there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. And so our worship is acceptable in the sight of God when we worship him according to his revealed will, and we come and draw near to him in the name of our mediator, Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we finish here today, we can finish with a note of confidence. Our worship on this side of heaven will always be tainted with sin. We gather every single week as men and women who are sinful we come to worship the lord and yet we have left the house that morning arguing and fighting with our loved ones we come to worship the lord carrying the guilt of secret sins we come worshiping the lord and yet our attention is not where it should be we are cross at the preacher or we are frustrated that things do not center more around us and yet as we gather As sinful men and women saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we worship in the light of the fact that we have a mediator and a great high priest over the household of God. Because we are in Christ, even our imperfect worship will be acceptable in the sight of God. That does not give us an excuse to add and invent and change how God has decreed he should be worshipped, but when we come in much weakness we can come with confidence, knowing that Christ is strong. And so whilst we are currently in a time where public worship cannot happen, we do look for and long to the day that we can once again gather as men and women to worship the Lord together. We will worship again according to the pages of God's Word, according to His revealed will and governed by the regulative principle. And we will worship once more, confident in Christ, so that when we come together publicly, without face masks and without restrictions, whatever we will do in word or deed, we will do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As always, here are some questions for you to consider. Question one. Why can we truthfully say, that humanity is without excuse. Question 2. Where do we find what is pleasing to God in worship? Question 3. Explain what we mean by the regulative principle, and why is it for our good? Question 4. Who should be the sole object of our worship? And what word, beginning with T, describes our God? And question five, why do we need a mediator, and who is our mediator? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess.